You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 120. If your shop is based in the U.S., your game store's website may be a huge liability for you. Recently passed, legislation has made the internet a public accommodation, and that means that if your website isn't accessible, you're at risk of serious fines from the government and especially lawsuits. Game stores in particular are being targeted by a law firm in New York, and if you don't want to be served with a five-digit lawsuit, you need a solution. The best option on the market is Accessibee. Accessibee is an affordable, AI-based app that automatically makes your website accessible for all sorts of people and protects you with an accessibility statement and litigation support just in case. It's an all-in-one win-win solution for game stores that only takes 48 hours to protect your business and make it more accessible to the people that need it. And Accessibee is running a Thanksgiving sale from November 23rd to the 29th, so you can save 30% on your license. Right now is a great time to make your website more accessible, protect your business, and save money all at the same time. You can grab this deal by signing up for a free 7-day trial by going to maniversesaga.com forward slash ADA. That's maniversesaga.com forward slash ADA. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button and leave a comment letting us know your thoughts. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at maniversesaga.com. Today, we're talking with Patrick Tenhorn. Hopefully I pronounced that accurately because this is a, uh, an interesting episode where quite the time difference. Patrick is in uh, the Netherlands, if I am also pronouncing that accurately. The Netherlands. And he is the, owner, the Netherlands. And he's also the owner of Spellenhaus, which is a, uh, well, I'm going to let him tell me all about it because it's a very interesting operation. And it's, uh, we're going to get a peek into what it's like in the EU compared to North America, which is mainly the focus on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Patrick. I'm glad you're here. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excited to have this conversation. Good, good. Uh, me too. Yeah, find out a little bit more about the Spelling House. So, let's start off by uh, diving into the story. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. How you got into the business? Why did you get into the business? You know, what, what's the origin story? Oh uh, well, I was uh, born in an entrepreneur's uh, family, uh, retailers, and I wanted to do something uh, for myself with retail from uh, quite a young age. I knew that I wanted to do something. Um, and then I slowly got interested uh, more and more into games. It started with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, a bit of magic. And slowly it went over to uh, board games and card games that got my interest. So I have a quite a broad spectrum of games that, uh, that I personally like. But above all, uh, I like small business. So you just wanted to like merge those two passions when you were younger? Is that how it kind of like led into it? Yeah, I think so. It was not, not a very deliberate choice, but uh, that's how it developed. Yes. Okay. So, what was the uh, what was the what were those first few days of kind of like planning for the store and figuring out what you wanted oh, to dear. do? What was that like? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know we it started in two thousand and three, so that's twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure how the few first days uh, felt or went. It's a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> but I know that it was uh, the first year was a hard time to get things going. Why was it? 
what was the what was the first year like? What was the challenges that you encountered? Uh, to get the right finance. Uh, mm -hmm. Banks were not very keen on uh, investing in something they didn't really know. Board games and card games weren't as big as they are right now. Um, and it, we had uh, quite a lot of uh, problems with starting things up. Um, that made us decide that we had to uh, yeah, broaden the spectrum a bit. So we started with an online shop quite early, I think 2004, maybe 2005. And a few years after that, we opened a second store in uh, in Harlem. We are situated in the city of The Hague. We have another store in Harlem um, that's close to Amsterdam. Most people would know Amsterdam, I think. And uh -huh. in 2017, uh, we uh, opened a cafe in Harlem together with the, with the store. That was a big success. And we went on uh, to doing the same thing in uh, for The Hague. And uh, so now we have a board game store and a cafe in The Hague. Beginning stages, I'm, I'm curious. So when you started things off, you know, the world was very different back then. The industry was very different. Uh, did, you, did you come in with funding on your own? Like, did you bring in a pile of cash and be like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm bringing to the table. And you were looking for loans to try and get the rest sorted out. Like, what was, the, what was that like and how hard well, was that? we brought in some of our own cash. Uh, huh. And we tried to get uh, cash from the bank. That was uh, eventually that was successful, uh, but we got in a lot of no's in between. Um, and the problem was that we did have um, the banks wanted to loan more money, and yeah, we didn't need as much money. Uh, we only needed, I think, about thirty k or so. And with a hmm. bank, it's even worse now. Well, if you're less than 100k, well, it's not worth our uh, bother. It's not worth our time. So, uh, sorry. Um, right now, there is a better... Uh, I'm not sure how it is in the, in the US and, and Canada, but in Europe, there is quite a small... Uh, there is quite a big niche for small loans. So you can... Uh, if you have a bit of money, you can bring it to a, uh, an investment partner uh, that uh, does it socially for new businesses. I've definitely heard that before, though. That uh, like I've, I've I've spoken to banks before with regards to uh, small business financing, and I remember having a conversation with somebody. This was many. This was like ten years ago, so you know, not quite the same time frame, but a while ago, and got the same message. Was that like I was only looking for you know a, a relatively small amount of money in that like okay maybe a hundred one hundred fifty dollars one hundred fifty k range, and they were like you're more likely if you came in here with a plan that needed two million dollars. We'd yeah. be much more interested. We'd be much more like, yeah, whatever, let's figure it out, see if we can make this work. But a smaller dollar amount is like it's more risky for them because they don't, you know, they view it as like, oh, it's small potatoes. There's there's the level of paperwork and complication to get it done is the same as the big deal. And just the payoff is not as high potentially as what they're going to get off of a big loan. So, yeah. so it's exactly an interesting right. place to be like, I only want a little bit of money, but that's actually harder to get if you're going yeah. to the traditional banks. I think that it still is. holds true today. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to like jump in, go big. Like if you're thinking about uh, starting a game store, <laughs> no. just off a million dollar game store and go nuts. You're actually yeah. more likely to get the money. But uh, yeah. So so there's a there's a niche industry of, of small business loans that's more prevalent in the EU than it is in the no, well you know, you don't know for sure, but that's a thing in the EU that that's uh, more common to get smaller mic micro loans, I guess. 
it's easier to get them uh, nowadays than it was uh, 20 years ago, uh, but still, it's not easy, and it is expensive. Mm, yeah, it's usually coming with higher interest rates and that sort of thing. Yeah. So when you uh, to start, yeah, so, so uh, those first few years. Yeah, sorry. The, the first few years, though, the, the the struggle is it's okay. There's a little bit of a delay, uh, but the struggle was like getting things kind of to take off. Right, like it, those first few years to get to that break-even point where everything was running smoothly, where you were running profitably, paying off those loans that you initially started things off with, so that you could actually grow and continue on that trajectory that you're hoping to build. Yeah, I think that uh, took us uh, about two, two and a half years to be break-even around that period. Hmm, that's good to know. That's a that's a good experience. So yeah. for yeah, so. And I, I wouldn't. Ex I would expect that store owners who are opening now, depending on their funding and how much they're putting into it, uh, that two and a half year period might seem daunting. How were there periods where you're like, oh, I mean, like, did I make a mistake? Am I on the right track here? Like, what was the what was what was that like? You know, first couple of years. How did that feel? Uh, it was tricky. It felt really tricky. Uh, but I, I'm doing it with a partner, and we were both uh, on a very low level, uh, budget level uh, living, so we could afford it. Um, but if you start at a later age, uh, and you have more, uh, you have kids, you have a house, you have a mortgage, maybe a car even, uh, it, is, uh, it can be tricky. And 20 years ago, the market was a lot smaller than it is today. So maybe it's easier nowadays, but yeah, there was also a lot more competition. Did you have other game stores in the area that you were kind of working to fit into the ecosystem with? Uh, did you get the uh, like, oh, who's this new startup, you know, trying to tread onto my uh, on my toes kind of thing? And uh, not 20 years ago. Uh, right now, uh, there are a lot more game stores in the Netherlands. Uh, mm. 20 years ago, we had more or less, we had uh, the city to ourselves. Not, not totally, but it was very close. Uh, so now you're the established player and there's people coming in on your territory. Exactly. Yeah. So what is that like? What does that feel like when a new store opens up a, you know, somewhere in your region that starts competing for you or potentially competing for the same customer base? How do you respond? Like, do you contact them and reach out to see what they're doing, or is it more just like they do you, they do them, you do you? Plays out how it plays out. Um, I don't think that uh, that competition is the right word. Um, I believe that we are still operating in a very small market, a niche market, and we are not uh, trying to focus on competition or whoever. We try to focus on ourselves and on the market. We try to make the market bigger. We don't try to get more people in that market. Our uh, main goal is that we are uh, ambassadors for the gaming world. We try to be that. Um, the market is maybe 2%. If we can raise that 100%, maybe uh, then the market is 4%. Still a very tiny percentage. Maybe it's doable. And I think we are still on that trajectory. trajectory. And that also gives the other players more of a chance to survive. All the other game stores. Because together, uh, we are making the gaming world bigger. And that's not only our, that's not something that we do, but that's something that Wizards does. That's something that you do with your podcast. 
that the entire community of gaming is, uh, is doing. That's a very good approach, and that's kind of what I've been trying to advocate for for a long time, is the, like, don't look at other game stores unless they're literally, like, right next door, and they're trying to, you know, undercut you directly and, like, taking on an adversarial sort of position to you directly. If they're just trying to also exist, then the goal should be to cooperate in the sense and work together to expand and grow and, you know, bring more people into the fold. So the, the idea of being like that, there's not, there's only so much to go around, I feel is really limiting for most business owners. And to have that belief that there's only so many gamers, there's only so many customers out there that, uh, you know, you have to fight each other to like, to get your share of the pie. I think the idea of growing the pie and making it bigger is a far more effective approach because everyone kind of wins that way. Uh, but it's also, I think, I think it's the way, the way the, the industry, the way the, the way gaming should work. Cause that's, that's really, it's supposed to be inviting. You're supposed to be having a good time. That's the whole, ele- the whole essence of what games are about. So I guess my question is, what do you do to kind of achieve that sort of goal? If, if your goal is to grow the market and raise the tide so everyone kind of grows together, you don't have to fight each other, what kind of what kind of strategies do you employ in that sort of regard? Uh, we try to uh, give it. A, we have tried to think about this in the past, and we've given it the name mainstreaming. So we try to uh, make gaming more mainstream. Uh, get more women involved in gaming, um, board games uh, more invitable to uh, not the hardcore gamers, but the level uh, plus gamer, the easier gamers, uh, family games, uh, making them bigger. Um, if you have a family gamer, maybe they can try something bigger and maybe they can introduce other people in family games. So um, give a higher, uh, the stores, uh, look great if i can say so for my own stores but they are also very inviting mm-hmm. to everybody that's involved um, we are on uh, good locations both of the stores they look great and nobody would feel uh, everybody is welcome there and everybody feels welcome there that may be even more important if you are a 30 year old uh, lady blonde lady uh, with a with a wheelchair you're more than welcome to come in. Uh, we try to make it more mainstream. That's the yeah. That's the word that we give, we uh, given it. That makes a lot of sense because the mainstream is gigantic, right? The average, like you said, the market of gamers to non-gamers is two percent to ninety-eight percent. That is a fifty-fold increase to all the people that are already involved in the hobby that you can tap into, that you can reach out to, that are susceptible in a good way, not in a bad way, but like they, yeah. they could very easily discover the benefits and the advantages and the fun and all the good stuff that's going on in, in this world. If they were just a little, if they were introduced gently to it, I think that's, exactly. you, know, you make that on ramp yeah. really nice and easy. So you mentioned that the stores, you know, probably look fantastic. They look excellent, nicely done, great branding, awesome aesthetic, you know, good lighting, you know, the, all the baseline stuff that you need for Full a really brand. good retail. Yep. You got that going on. So what do you do uh, specifically to make it, you know, feel welcoming to everybody that comes by? Um, there's no one approach. It depends on what you're interested in. Uh, if magic is your game, uh, then you have a different approach when board games are your uh, thing. Or uh, Tinder dates are your thing. We have a lot of Tinder dates uh, coming in the stores and the cafes. 
um, we uh, do all kinds of business uh, things that uh, business uh, pop quizzes um, even marriages we uh, we done a, a few times um, those kinds of things are real attractive to get big crowds in the stores and they look around and say, oh, that was fun. I'm not such a gamer, but maybe uh, I can come over and bring some friends and play Ticket to Ride or, or uh, something easy. And slowly mm -hmm. they get more and more up. So if you get some business events in your uh, store going, uh, well, that is great to bring new people uh, in the stores at a later point. Um, so we have different tactics for different uh, for different markets for different people. Do you do a lot of you know, corporate events? Do you focus on outreach in terms of kind of like, hey, you know, just so you know, we've got stuff not that you don't necessarily lot. see in game stores? Like, how does that work? No, not a whole lot. Uh, it happens once in a while, uh, mm -hmm. maybe two, three times a month or so, maybe a bit more. Uh, but it's not something that we focus on. Uh, we focus with the cafes. We have the, the standard model. Uh, it's five euros uh, to play. The snakes and lattes model. Uh, it's five euros to play. You can stay all day as long as you like. You can, the hundreds and hundreds of games we have uh, ready to play. All the big hits. Um, and we try to keep it low level. That's the main thing. Low level. Like in approachability? Approachability, like simpler games, nothing too deep, that kind of thing. Uh, we have them, that's not what we point at. So you're trying to ease them in, right? Somebody who may yeah. or may not, you know, be knowledgeable about what's on, what kind of games are available, and the depth that you can go into for some of these things. It's more of like a, here's a gentle introduction into the world of Euro gaming, right? Or something a little bit more complex than Monopoly or Scrabble yeah, or whatever. Yeah, we use the, the, the rate of Catan. That's how we call it. Um, games that are uh, half a times as complicated as Settlers of Catan get one star. Uh, even uh, difficulty level as Catan get two stars. And so it, it goes up until you're, uh, well squad leader or show or something uh, kind of uh, level games so let's talk about the cafe a little bit so when you initially started things out it was retail only correct yeah offline and online uh, we started with uh, offline retail and quite uh, fast we went into online retail which was also ahead of the curve for the average yeah. like e-commerce was still kind of like kind of new back then so you were yeah. definitely ahead of everyone else as that was as that was coming in which Okay. Before we get into the cafe, how was that? How was the like your venture into online and, and selling things through the website back in the well, day? What was that like? Also how, very hard. How did you how did you build that out? What was that experience like? Also very hard. Uh, like I said, in the starting times, business was slow. That meant that we have more than enough time uh, to get uh, other things started, and that's how that's why we did on, uh, online to diversify ourselves a bit. Um, and it started slow, but slowly it went bigger and bigger and bigger on, on what it is now. It's about a third of our business uh, online. Nice. Not bad. Have you transitioned to the newer platforms, or are you still using what you like originally built stuff out on? Uh, uh, we made a transition last year, or early this year even. We went to uh, Shopware. The online component. Is that like, do you treat that as a separate part of the business? Do you have, you know, like a team that ma that handles that specifically since it's a fairly sizable yeah. portion of things? Yeah. 
Yeah, we do that as a, uh, yeah, a separate business. Uh, we, uh, logistics are handled from uh, the store in The Hague, so the stock levels and the stock levels in the store in The Hague are the same as online. Um, and that's also where we do the shipping uh, from. So an area of the store is the shipping area. So you got a whole team that manages that sort of stuff and, and specifically deals with the shipping and the packaging and the deliveries and all of that. Yeah, and marketing online. So what was it like building out the team in separating things? When you, like I imagine when you first started the online portion of things, it was kind of like, you know, you and whoever you was working with you at the time kind of did, did everything all at once because you didn't have as much to, you didn't have as much taking up your time. So you could have messed it in, in shipping and stuff. Was that, uh, was building out the team and building out the, the processes and the systems to take care of that sort of thing? Was that a challenge? Was that like, you know, you had to learn something completely different in order to build it up into an operation that could uh, function well? That's true. Um, the internet is not my main responsibility, uh, so I know a bit about it, but it's not uh, something that I do on the, on a daily basis. Um, but what what I do, uh, we are building teams, uh, teams in the different locations, uh, online, offline, and that's a whole different cookie than um, the, the the one uh, one store that we we started with. So you're getting uh, bigger. You have to new, uh, learn new skills. Um, first, you have to realize that you have to learn new skills. And mm -hmm. you do that usually by falling on your face. <laughs> uh, so that happens sometimes. Um, but uh, the corona years, uh, we try to use those years uh, to get uh, stuff right. And we're not there yet. Uh, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So uh, getting more education for ourselves, uh, more education for the people that uh, that work for us, for the store, and a better vision of what we would like, uh, get the procedures on paper, and make sure that everybody follows those procedures. Mm -hmm. That's a continuing battle. Not everybody does, and I have to admit that I'm guilty on that as well. Uh, but it's getting more and more yeah. of a business and less and less on a hobby. Yeah, as you go along, you're at the stage where you've you started to systematize things and write down the exact way things are done, and it's kind of becoming more of a, a reliable machine that you plug what you need into to get the process and get the you know the final product out the door and that kind of thing. And yeah, that's. That is more of the late stage, not, the, not that it's a final stage, but that's more of the evolution of the entrepreneur, right? You start off doing everything on your own and you do, you have a job and then it eventually becomes a thing where you hire other people and then you eventually get to the point where you hire other people to manage those people and then now you're you know the owner who's just kind of making more bigger things happen rather than doing the day-to-day uh, the -day cashier execution kind of stuff. So I'm sure you had to learn quite a bit during that process to get to the stage where you are now. Uh, what I guess, what does your day look like uh, as as right now? At the stage we're in now, post-COVID somewhat anyways, uh, things are more open, you know, things are progressing. What, what does the, what does a day in Patrick's life look like? Um, it's uh, very diverse. Um, this week I'm working seven days uh, because of some corona cases. Uh, most of the time is uh, on the floor. Uh, but in a usual week, um, three uh, days a week on the floor. 
And two days a week, uh, I'm working on other stuff, administration, getting other things done, making the business better. And that's something that I would advise every entrepreneur. Take some time off for yourself and to give yourself some room, mental room as well, to get other stuff done or to get other stuff, to get yourself a vision of what you would like to achieve uh, in a year, in two years and execute on that. Not only work in your own store, but also try to get a bit hands off. You definitely need some time, as they say, to work on the business, not in the business. Setting some time in yeah. your calendar every week to do that is how you kind of, that's how you do that. You eventually get to the point where that's what you can do. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to jump back again. So we did, I do want to explore the cafe and how that kind of developed. And I want to get into that and talk about, you know, how you brought that about. Uh, so was the idea for the cafe or, or introducing food, I guess, into the operation? Was that part of the mainstreaming strategy? Was that like a way of you introducing people because you know, bring them, get them in for the food, you know, they stay for the games kind of thing? Or was there another passion, this is something that you wanted to do at some point in the future? Uh, no, it fitted in that uh, the mainstreaming strategy and other things are playing up as well. And that's the competition part. Uh, you talked about mm-hmm. it in your previous podcast as well. Uh, more and more stuff go uh, on Kickstarter or uh, on Amazon or even uh, publishers uh, that are going direct to the consumer. Um, mm-hmm. So offline retail um, is going to be hard in the in the foreseeable future. Uh, so you have to get something. You have to do something special. Uh, in the game stores, we have the we are on the. R- the perfect spot to do something special. Um, and you have to try to get yourself a uh, unique selling point. So what is it? it can be a unique selling point. Um, I'm sure I, if you are smart, you can uh, think of better stuff than we thought of. Uh, but we thought of the cafe. That was in 2016, I guess, more or less. Um, and in 2000, 2017, we started with the cafe. Um, we don't do foods. We do a bit of food. We're, we're not a uh, not a restaurant. We are a cafe, mm. uh, including beers, cocktails, and so on. So we have a full liquor license. We do the uh, and we have the operation to do that. We have the the uh, diplomas, uh, mm. governmental uh, consent uh, to do all the kind of stuff. And that's very hard. Uh, it's not something that you easily do. Yeah, not all of uh, not all or not many game stores go down the route of a full liquor license. Why did you choose to do that in particular? Um, I kind of think you have to. If you see yourself as a cafe, if you see yourself as a venue uh, that people come to have fun in the evenings, you have to be able to serve some uh, some alcohol. I'm sure there yeah. are plenty of people who don't necessarily want a coffee at eight in the evening. They want something a little bit different. Was that uh, was the process of getting into introducing beverages? Was that uh, what were the growing pains involved in that? Like, what lessons did you learn, kind of incorporating all of that uh, into the business model? Um, well, one of the first decisions that we took to get a professional uh, along with us, uh, something that uh, someone that had uh, quite a lot of. Uh, hospitality experience and he took away a lot of the pain and in the first part of the developing of the cafes he he played a big role in that and um, 
so there, it was quite easily uh, executed um, as well as the customers came in quite easily at a quite a fast uh, fast pace so that was quite successful for us yeah he did we brought in a professional on the hospitality uh, level or that has a lot of response a lot of uh, history on hospitality and he took a lot of away the pains of uh, what hospitality is and how it is uh, executed gotcha so brought in like a consultant or somebody to kind of give you some no. guidance as to like how to set it up or somebody like no manager employee we brought in the cafe manager so did they still work with you is that somebody or did it was that just like a setup kind of situation no unfortunately we had to let him go uh, in the second lockdown it was of corona yeah well that's unfortunate so yeah. how has the cafe side of things been impacted by by the whole COVID situation i imagine the yeah, last year has been challenging Heavily. Uh, we opened the first one in uh, 2017 and we wanted to do the second one in uh, in early 2020. We did. Uh, two weeks before the first lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. So that was not a great time in us, but we're still there. Uh, luckily, we had a lot of support from uh, from the Dutch government. And it took a lot away a lot of the, took away a lot of pain of the cost that still went on, like uh, personnel cost, uh, rent, and so on. Um, everybody stayed except for the uh, for the cafe manager, um, so we're quite happy about that. And now we're trying uh, to get things going again, and actually it's going quite well. Harlem is in uh, full uh, throttle, and the hike is about uh, ninety percent. Uh, on its way. That's fantastic. And that, that's kind of what I've been hearing, and also part of what I expected is that you know people have been locked up for a long time, and they're ready to come out and uh, come out and enjoy themselves again. So there's going to be a big surge of people coming out to you know to those kinds of venues to kind of get their life back. Yeah, and they had the money to spend. That is mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the. It sounds like everything's going pretty pretty well now that post lockdown for the most part things are on the upswing. Yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, with an inflation rate of ten percent, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but uh, the inflation is uh, pretty high there as well. It's, I'm sure it's high enough. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's high enough. So, how so with that in mind, future Luke. Yeah, yeah. So with that in mind, what are you uh, what are you foreseeing for like the next five years for Spelling House? What are your big plans? Next five years? That's a hard question. Um, I think uh, the coming year will be quite hard, but the inflation rate uh, won't easily drop down to what they used to be. Uh, maybe even two years. How will the consumer react to that? Uh, we can get into in, inflation price surge with uh, wages going up. Um, uh, all costs going up, and that can take quite some time. Let's hope it's not going that way. Um, mm -hmm. And we hope to try to expand the business, maybe after that. Too many variables, too much uncertainty at the moment, but hopefully growth is still in the plan. Yeah. It's not, uh, yeah, not going to be too much of a bumpy ride along the way. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. You never know. So I'm curious then. So you've been around for... You know, you've run your business for a long time, almost uh, almost two decades. We've been at this for a while. Yeah. Uh, 
I want to, you know, so the theme of the podcast is success and like what it takes to be successful in this business. Part of that is defining what it means to be successful for you personally. And, and that as a business, what do you feel like is a, you know, you achieve goals and what does success look like? So I want to ask the question, what, what is success and what does it feel like for you? What, how do you define success? Um, success on what? On a, on a personal level or on a business level? Let's do both. Like personally, what does success feel like for you? And then also, like, what do you feel like, you know, when Spelling House has done something right, how do you, how do you know? Um, on a personal level, I think success is that I, um, that ideas that I have that work out, uh, I think that's good enough as a personal success. For the business, I think uh, continuity is the, is the most mm -hmm. successful. Uh, cont continuity above all everything else. So if I'm dead tomorrow, the business has to go on. Um, gotcha. If there is another corona pa pandem pandemic going on, still the business has to try to survive. Um, that's why we do internet, um, uh, online uh, or uh, offline stores and cafes. So we have try. We are quite broadly oriented, and there was also quite a big help in uh, in Corona times. Uh, we had a quite a good running uh, online store and went crazy online in Corona times, and that was mm -hmm. part of all the investment that we made in the in the previous decade in, in uh, online resilience. You want to be able to handle and keep things going, and I think the idea of if you were to disappear tomorrow. Would the business continue without you? Could it continue without you? It was a pretty good benchmark for whether or not it's a self-sustaining, successful venture. For people who are, let's say, uh, looking at opening a game store, or they're thinking about it, or in the plan, or in their first couple of years, you know, like those initial beginning budding stages, and they're listening to this, and they're, you know, they're absorbing everything. What, what kind of advice would you give them? And what do you think is the most important thing for them to think about right now? You know, 2022, coming up to Q4, what's something that they should be thinking about? Uh, inflation. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing, I think. Is it the right time to start a new business? It uh, could be. Um, I'm kind of doubting, uh, but that also depends on your local, uh, how things look locally. Maybe you can pick up a great location for very little money. Uh, but maybe that's a bit too early. Uh, maybe in a year or so you can pick up uh, very good locations at a, uh, at a lot lower price than they are right now. Uh, but I would say uh, educate yourself in all different kinds of ways that you can. Make sure you are, uh, if you are just starting, that you don't have a lot of expenses so that you can afford to make mistakes or that you hire professional so that you avoid to make those mistakes. But both of them will cost you a lot of money. I was going to ask you, if you have any last words of advice, parting, parting words? I think those are like perfect gold nuggets, though, so that's excellent. If people want to find out more about Spell House and they want to connect with you, where can they go to, uh, to see what you have going on? They can go to our website. Uh, I'm sure you will show it in the show notes. And yep. they also <laughs> can give me an, uh, it's not they can also give me an email. They can also give me an email. I'm sure it will be there as well. All right. I will hook that up in the show notes if people want to reach out to Patrick. And if you're in the EU and you know you want to connect with somebody who's kind of in the realm of, of 
your sort of experience, I definitely recommend doing that. That's something that uh, uh, in the chatter that I've seen online, uh, it's really important for you to connect with other people who are in the industry, who are having the same sorts of experiences that you are, dealing with the same sorts of challenges that you are. And North America and EU don't always experience the same kinds of, of obstacles. So if you're in the European Union and you want somebody to, you know, maybe reach out to or connect with and you know, share some ideas with, uh, Patrick would be a good person to, uh, to reach out to. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, in Europe, we don't have uh, an organization like uh, Gamma uh, that you guys uh, have for retailers. Um, I'm sure, I, I know that they want to start something. Uh, so it would be more than welcome if we have a Gamma kind of organization here in the EU. So I hope that somebody listens to this who can uh, pick it up from Gamma. Making the call, putting it out there. We want uh, yeah. some more European-focused Gamma Gamma content. So let's see what uh, maybe we can get something, get the ball rolling. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and then you making the time for me today and, and sharing your your story and your insights and your wisdom. It's uh, it's been a been a very enjoyable conversation. Well, thank you as well. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Metaverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host, and I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Metaverse Podcast. <laughs>